Kia ora e te and welcome to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. Join us as we delve into personal stories about inspirational career journeys for people in design and construction, as you too build your own story. Joanna and Dave, thanks for coming along today and talking in this um, in this Tall Story podcast. So I think what we're um, about today is kind of uncovering the stories of both of you, how you got here, um, and I guess also where you're going um, with your careers. Dave, you're pretty well known in the industry. You've you've had a really interesting journey. So we're really keen to find out um, about that journey and you know, where you started and I, and I guess you know why you've made the decisions that you've made. And Joanna, really keen to figure out your story as well and, and what it's like working with, with Dave and working in the team and working on some pretty amazing projects from um, Strawberry Architects. So actually, uh, Joanna, do you want to start with your story and, and tell us how you got here and, and what the journey's been like? Yeah, cool. So um, hello, my name is Joanna Jack. I am a registered architect at Strong Group Architects. Um, I'm also a mum, and I'm from the Cook Islands and from US, so, but uh, born and raised here in Auckland. I've been with SGA, Strong Group Architects, now for coming up 10 years, so mm. it's been a long kind of working relationship. Um, started prior to that during uni, and um, yeah, that's kind of a brief overview of who I am. That's pretty, pretty impressive there. I mean, how, how did you start to access architecture or start to think about becoming an architect when you were younger and, and how did that shape up with where you've come from and yeah so um I I guess at high school I I was quite keen on the visual arts I feel like that was my strength um and graphics and I had a few teachers that saw some potential and kind of encouraged me to kind of work upon that um, and so when I was, when I finished high school, I'd kind of given myself a bit of a, a timeline. I was like, look, I'll just give architecture a go and um, just kind of see how we go from there. My background, I didn't have kind of architects in the family or, or anyone actually had been to uni, so it was quite new for me. So yeah, gave it a shot. My first year was amazing. I, I built some really great relationships with my uh, kind of fellow students. We were kind of in the trenches with, with the studio environment and, um, you know, lack of sleep, all of that kind of stuff that you kind of go through when you're, a, <laughs> when you're at uni. But um, I had some really good tutors and, and that's kind of where things started off with Dave. So I met Dave in my third year, so my final year of the Bachelor of Architect studies degree and he had been running a studio 19 project um, a couple of years prior to yeah uh, the design document yeah yeah yeah. and I signed up because I I was quite keen on the practical side of things I feel like that's kind of my strength in terms of where I was at uni at the time the theory was was good but that was definitely kind of my strong point and um, And Joe's really good She's really good in that practical sense. You've done a whole bunch of building and even yeah. the motokokura thing we did. Yeah. And um, what did you do the other night? You fixed your plumbing at home? Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. So Put a new shower rail on? Yeah, so I guess That's going impressive. back, the, the actual the course itself was kind of um, over the course of a year. The first portion, I guess, is a 
we had a real client and we did um, a studio project where we had to design a two-bedroom um, batch for their property in the Coromandel. Right. And so that was quite a big step for us as students as we had kind of a real client, we had a real brief, we had budgets, we had all of that kind of stuff to work towards. And then the second component of that project was we had to detail it up as if it was kind of a building consent um, kind of package. So that was the technical portion of, of um, yeah. that year. And then the final year was the build. So build project so we yeah we had about 16 students on the tools for our last quarter of that year and yeah we we all kind of got comfortable I guess with using tools and there was a good range of um, people in terms of the diversity and age and skill set. I think um, that Studio 19 is pretty legendary I know a lot of people have gone through that yes. program that they set up so I think it's pretty impressive and also pretty unique I think it's you know and I studied at, at Unitech as well and, mm. and then moved on well before Student 19 came about but I can understand like um, from from friends and colleagues of mine have gone through that that's really quite a powerful um, kind of way of engaging with the with the industry and you know, I'm a firm believer in actually going out and prototyping and piloting and actually getting yes. physical with things. So, yeah. yeah, so having that in a academic environment where you get all the support would be actually pretty, pretty powerful, I think. I mean, Dave, I'd love to talk to you about Studio 19 and actually where they came from because it, it is legendary. You know, it, it is influential and, and be really keen to sort of see how you set that up and what, what you were trying to, trying to achieve. Yeah, well, I guess the thing is, that it was I was inspired by the likes of Rural Studio and Studio yeah. 804. And there's a whole bunch of programs, particularly in the yeah. states, that were doing that kind of thing. And I was, because of my building background, I always thought, well, hey, this this would be a good way of meshing, you know, everything from academia, you know, the theory, mm-hmm. the practice, clients mm-hmm. researching products, doing council stuff, and then actually having to build something and, and learn the consequences of, you know, what builders and, and contractors have to have to do. And that's where I mean, it's a bit of a joke in the office, but it became like a year-long interview because I actually got to see <laughs> students operating for a whole year in every different facet of what we yeah. do, including building, which is not typically what architects do. But One, yeah. one could argue it's a very smart decision on your part <laughs> to get yeah. a funnel to that kind of talent, right? Yeah, well, the interesting thing, the other thing I think that came out of it, probably we didn't think originally, was the fact that it was... We got to do, as strong group architects, we got to do a lot of R&D. So we tested a whole bunch of different building methodology, obviously to do with prefabrication, but different, totally different systems in, in virtually every job. And that was a that was a kind of a win for us in that we got to do it in an environment where you had enthusiastic young people who wanted to become architects and yeah. getting involved in it. And, yeah. um, and that was, that, I guess that was the other thing, was we got to see students operating across all these spectrums and then test some things mm. and we've gone on and we've ended up with a lot of projects because we've developed that expertise within our practice yeah so it's it's been a bit of a win-win and pretty pretty amazing i think if you look at strong groups work um you see a very strong um i guess a very strong identity within within some of the detailing and some of the things that you do so there's a kind of an association between you know, strong group architects and their buildings, they're not anonymous. They are very much coming from, you know, your studio practice. Um, tell us about how you started, because you started as a builder, right, as a carpenter. Yeah, well, I did I did half a more commerce degree, and, and then I thought um, I didn't particularly... I met mum and dad, so 
accountant and lawyer at Christmas time after I'd finished this half this four year degree, and I thought I should. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't end up like either of those guys because mm. I found them quite boring. Mm. And so yeah, mate had um, studied architecture, and we'd always done building at school. Uh, we were good at woodwork and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's where it sort of came about. So we ended up building. It was boom time in like '73. Yeah. And they were short of carpenters, so we just rolled up to a job and said we were carpenters and we'll, we'll finish this townhouse for you. And that's what we did, reading carpentry in New Zealand at night and, um, you know, ringing this chippy that we knew and said, we're going to be probably doing this tomorrow. How do you, how do you reckon we should do it? And it was just, it was awesome. I loved wow. it. Wow. And so then from there you discover this thing of I'd really like to do architecture. Yeah. And so, yeah, running, building and architecture in parallel the whole time I was at uni. So, so when you say getting into architecture from a building perspective, did you was that because you loved the buildings, or because you saw some problems that you wanted to try and solve? Yeah, I don't think it was so much the problem thing. I think it was more to do with the fact that I want to know about where these buildings come from. Yeah, who designed these? You know, what what's the genesis of the stuff? Where yeah. does it come from? Rather than just be told you're going to build this and here's a plan. Yeah, I wanted to know more. I guess so. I was really interested in that that part of it. Okay, and I think. Um, with Stronger Group now, um, Joanna, the team there, uh, you, you've got a facility, you've got your own office in, in Morningside, right? So you, yep. you do have uh, kind of a, from what I remember going for the tour there, you've got a like a, a part of the building in which you can do uh, some prefabrication, you can do some testing, some prototyping, obviously with those kind of things. I, I remember yep. sort of seeing all that. Does, does, does that still continue the practice? Do you still to kind of test ideas and, and get people around a, you know, a physical object and go and have a look at it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we've got a hundred square meters uh, that's basically uh, the, our architect's workshop, if you like, yep. with a lot of gear in there, so you can make just about anything. And then we're lucky enough to have sort of another three hundred and something meters alongside where two of our builder sons, and including um, Joe's partner, wow. Jimmy, uh, is, works for them as well. And they, um, so we've got the synergy between you know builders working as building contractors alongside us. So there's that, that kind of sharing of knowledge, and I think that's, that's a critical part of, of anything. Rather than being out on an island by yourself, you, you're sharing knowledge. And we've got Cam, our other son, as a landscape architect downstairs. So there's the amount of up age. Yeah, I mean, we go down there all the time for training sessions, and say if the boys are working on cabinetry or something like that, we'll go down and have a look and, and see it as an opportunity to learn. And, I mean, we also take advantage and... And do our own projects in lunchtime, in our <laughs> yeah. lunchtimes down in yeah. the workshop. Um, and after but, hours, I imagine. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. After hours, weekends, it's weekends. All, always something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Joanna, your your partner's involved in the building industry as well, and and you've got and you've got a child as well. How does that all work? Because for me, that'd be quite all encompassing. Everything's about architecture or building or construction, and then you've also got family as well. How do how do you find time, or do you do you actually want time outside of building, or, or you're just completely absorbed in, in, in I guess this journey of, of building construction? Um, I think like with my daughter, she's um, she's two at the moment, so we're kind of yeah. I feel like we've got a good balance of um, of building and being kind of having a separate um, kind of relationship with our daughter. We kind of find it as a bit of a passion as well yeah um so we do spend a lot of time looking at how we can improve our house or how we can <laughs> you know it's we're kind of yeah we are a little bit in it mm. um 
Yeah, and Lizzie, Lizzie's coming into the workshop and the office yeah, all the time, you know, so it's, to, it's her environment as well now. She's, yeah. This is what I call the osmosis stuff. You yeah. know, you, if, <laughs> if you put them around there enough, yeah. kids, they'll pick it up. And our three sons, I mean, none of them wanted to be an architect, but they picked it up, I think, because I was always building stuff. Yeah, that yeah. was what we did in the yeah. weekends, at nights, mix concrete, cut timber, do whatever it was, and yeah. progressively they get better at stuff. And, I, I think it's yeah. really cool. I, I really, I think one of the um, side effects of COVID has been sort of awareness that people actually do have families, and I love to see, you know, in, the, in a workplace where you do have children coming on and, and into, the, into the space, even if it's only on a um, short period of time, because they get exposure to see what you do. Mm, yes. um, can I ask a question about registration? Because my background's in architecture, that's what I studied as well, but I never chose the registration track. Why did you choose the registration track? Was that something you always wanted to do, or um, was it strategic? Was it something that you thought you needed to do? How did that work? Oh, it was kind of a goal that I'd set out for myself um, pretty much straight after architecture school. Mm. Once I started in the workforce, it was something that I wanted to kind of achieve. Mm. Um, and so luckily I had been exposed to a really good kind of scope of work at SGA so yeah. um, I was working on um, kind of all phases I guess of the architectural process so I just took the opportunity before I had kids to kind of um, yeah, smash out that goal as, as quick as I could mm-hmm. um, and yeah it was challenging definitely at the time getting your case study together and working weekends to kind of um, prepare yourself for the, the big day of um, you know the conversation um, but yeah I, I'm, I've, I've been pretty pretty happy with, with getting that pretty quickly yeah before starting a family yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things we have in the office. I don't put anyone under pressure to get registered, but I make sure that we provide the environment, you know, and the teaching and, and all of the support for them if they want to mm. get registered. And I mean in, in particularly in Joanna's case, I mean yeah, we joke about it, but she's a, an exemplar for a, a young Pacific Island woman to be at this stage, first person in her family to have gone through uni. It's, mm. it's mm. very powerful. And when you go out to the Amazing little uh, early childhood education centre there. Joe's the princess, you know. She's. They just, you know. Hey, I mean, they they treat you with such respect. You you you're a role model, yeah. which is I think is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to work on a project um, for the Cook Island community here in Auckland. So that was one that I that kind of I took with me as part of my registration process as well. But um, it also resonates with me personally in so mm. many ways. So. Yeah, it's a meaningful one that SGA were quite um, supportive and kind of pursuing and, and getting it done. Um, I think it's really important. I think, um, you know, perhaps if I had sort of, um, after I graduated, had the right set of conditions, I might have gone down the registration track because I actually found it quite hard um, mm-hmm. because I didn't, you know, wasn't in an environment in which I got the support. So, yeah, that's really good to, to hear that. This episode is proudly sponsored by Jib Plasterboard, your local plasterboard manufacturer. Jib Plasterboard offers a wide range of training programs and technical help for lining installation, fire resistance performance, noise control, wet area systems, and rigid air barrier solutions. Please call the Jib Helpline team on 0800 100 442 for technical support or register for a training session at jib.co.nz slash training and events.
Look, I'm keen actually to talk to both of you about future because we're in a change period of massive change or even the threshold of change when it comes to things like artificial intelligence and but also things like um, the, you know, energy, carbon, sustainability and climate. What are you thinking about in terms of like a strategy about where um, Strong Group is going and where you're personally going? Um, you know, what kind of views have you got on the kind of the change that's got to be coming to this industry and, and to society in general? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a tricky one. I think from my point of view, because I'm, you know, getting a bit long in the tooth now, but I mean, I just can't imagine ever stopping and I think we have to just take on all these challenges. I, I find it I find it sad, really, that a lot of the legislation mm. from government, from council, from various bodies is choking the hell out of um, innovation. Mm. It's almost impossible to innovate unless you've got a whole lot of money because, mm. no, it's not in the book, you can't do it like that. Have you got an alternative solution? Has it been tested by someone? Mm. That kind of thing. I find that kind of frustrating and so, you know, I kind of always think about Bob Seeger, who says that you should always sort of run against the wind. And mm. so we do a bit of that, and we, we do it by a bit of skullduggery, I guess, in terms of we'll test things where we think the risk is low or whatever. Mm. And and we know, and we've got some uh, windows, for example, in, in our in our own office building that are they're not specifically tested by any system, but we've managed to get them through the system. And they're, they're a very cool, very practical thing for us to be doing. Yeah. And they work really well in terms of our CO2 environment has been measured by some boffins, and it's apparently it's fantastic. Mm. It's not air-conditioned our building, and there's all that kind of stuff. And you think so? We've been thinking about that probably for 20 years or more. Mm. Is how can we be better in that space? And and we've had uh, we're just currently almost completed our sort of carbon footprint as a, as a practice. Yeah. And so uh, we'll probably be buying a few trees somewhere to give us our our net zero thing but I mean it's it, I think it's important to be thinking about stuff it, it's interesting isn't it because I, I tell you and I think that's probably um, you know why a lot of us keep on pushing uh, and at certain things because we are, are frustrated by the system you know I think it's interesting that actually underlying our building code as a performance objectives most of the time is trying to set a certain performance requirement but then you have all these things that get in the way of actually getting to what the heart of the matter is and I think from SGA, Strong Group Architects perspective, the work and the people are actually always constantly pushing at certain things. And I think you do have to fight your battles as well, or pick your battles, and, and figure out, okay, what am I going to challenge here on this project? And I do like the idea of skullduggery. I do like the idea of pushing at certain things and being quite subtle with where you, where you start to kind of start to challenge the system, I guess. And I think maybe that the way you've set up the practice with people, with Joanna there, and with that facility to be able to go and test things immediately almost is, and, and also your own office is a laboratory. I mean, that's really quite an interesting um, pace in the market that you've got or pace in the in, in society that you've got to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because when we talked to a bunch of my architect mates about, you know, having this, I'd always wanted this decent-sized workshop with mm. a whole bunch of good gear in it, and a lot of them said, oh, don't do that, don't do that, it's just too risky, health and safety, blah, blah, blah. It's mm. a typical thing of, you know, just run away scared from all the legislation. And it's mm. like, you know, this is really sad. And I think now back on, we've been there about six and a half years. If the stuff we've done in that six and a half years was lost to all of us as mm. humans mm. and 
to our knowledge and whatever else, it's, it would be so sad. Mm. So what we do is we've got a good system. In fact, Joanna's our health and safety officer oh. as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, it's I always get the girl power little thing. You know, what's, what do you call it? Emojis yeah, from Joe. Yeah, yeah, She seems to be going with, with girl power. And I, I like that with a hard hat. Hey? <laughs> But, um, you know, it, it would be sad. And so I sort of thought, no, I'm not going to bow to that pressure. Mm. I'm going to have this workshop mm. and we're going to be sensible about it and people are going to have to be inducted mm. and all that kind of stuff. And, in fact, we've just been doing some work over the last month or so where I've been dragging just one person at a time down to do particular things that we've got going. Okay. And they get away from the computer. Yeah. And they, they always say to me, gee, I had a great day today because <laughs> they were down in the workshop. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, so, I think that kind of the, there's a sort of, I guess, sense of luxury there that you get to step away from the screen yeah. and get to go and, you know, touch things yeah. and bang things together and that kind of thing. So that's really, really good. I think, um, Joanna, you've, you're 10 years now with, with Stronger, you're registered. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see, obviously, people come through. What are you doing with respect to these new younger people coming through into, into Strong Group and, and how does mentoring happen? You, you're a mentor now for these people. Just as Dave was mentor through Student Nineteen. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. So how does that how does that look to you now that you're starting to start to get a little bit more seniority in the industry? How does that work? Yeah, it's it's kind of been a bit of a full circle moment, even with um because we did a Studio Nineteen project where I was working with Dave with a with a bunch of uni students as well. So um, there's always kind of that being able to place yourself in their shoes and be able being able to connect with them on that scale. Mm. And then now that we're in the office, yeah, I'm running a few projects with an amazing team and um, it's it's good because I'm, I'm just able to connect with them and kind of, yeah, guide them through their career choices as well, which is, um, yeah, it's a good place yeah. to be. And Joe's a great communicator too in terms of, you know, like in terms of written communication, very thorough, which is always the scariest thing for me is, you know, you know, in terms of managing our risk, our internal risk, a lot of it's about just having good systems in place to make sure you don't stuff something up. Yeah. And you know, when you've got people who can write well and be thorough with stuff, it, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable knowing mm-hmm. that the Joe will be running that job. You're talking about things like briefs and scuffle works and contracts and things like that? Yeah, all of that. And yeah. just communicating yeah. with people, be it contractors, um, you know, consultants, clients. It's, mm. it's very important that we're kind of all on the same page. And if, if you are, the jobs run really smoothly, you mm. know, if, if you don't have these sort of communication purposes. <coughs> yeah, I think that's really important. I think clear communication is is absolutely critical. It, it sort of makes things, everything easier, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know, practice and building and, and being sort of straightforward and transparent and honest is actually a really, mm. good, really good position yeah. to start from. Yeah, one thing at SJ is as well with the young grads coming through is there's a lot of transparencies mm. and guidance and, and teaching, which is kind of some of um, Dave's background and um, just being able to kind of spend time with the young grads and say, hey, this is how you formulate um, a an agreement this is you know working through all the stages yeah. where I don't know if that's necessarily available to other grads from other practices in terms of transparency and, um, and fees and, and things like that I think it's interesting having been an architecture graduate there's a kind of a precipice between what you learn and then what you experience um, probably actually for you and, and other people who go through something like studio 19 maybe a bit more visibility over what goes on in practice and, and in construction, but 
often it's quite daunting for an architecture grad to come to practice and then figure out, oh, okay, I need to know about business, I need to know about fees, I need to know about hours and time and mm-hmm. liability and all those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. How much of what you do is, I guess, business or operational versus design now in terms of how you split your time? Basically, so when you come into the office, you really have one project that you would run with. You kind of see it out through all stages. So yeah. there's a lot of transparency along that um, route. So yeah, you'll, you'll kind of get a chance typically at the start to sit down with one of the seniors, do a drawing exercise, start modeling that up. Then be, you'll be present at the client meetings. So you really do kind of get an overall idea of of, yeah of what's involved Um, and you typically that kind of goes also through to construction and you'll be on site with with your team lead um, mostly so you're exposed to kind of everything which Mm. is um, I think really important in terms of education and that leads to registration as well yeah I was just going to say a lot of the the issues with um, from what I gather in in the architecture community is a lot of the numbers stuff the Mm. fees and all that kind of Mm. kind of management profitability stuff gets hidden mm-hmm. whereas we've never done that mm. it's literally a case of here's this job meet the client let's put a fee agreement together this mm. is where you do it this is what we've got to watch for what are the critical parts what's the brief mm. identify all the key elements to it and then work right through that so even down to our accountability in terms of our office efficiency mm. that links back into that that figure that we quoted for various jobs and so the whoever's running like Joe jo running a job it means that she's got a constant contact with what's going on how are we doing what's yeah. happening so you have a, a much wider sense of, of how to run a business too rather than just doing the architecture I think that's interesting I think um, I guess maybe traditionally or at least from my experience that that kind of operational side is sort of seen as you know, the, the least interesting part, but actually presented the right way with the right exposure, it actually becomes really an interesting, you know, mm. sort of um, skills and understanding and, yeah. and a way of thinking in its own right. It, be, it can become as creative as, as design or as, as, as kind of those, kind of the, the beginning parts of a project where you're imagining what this project might look like and interpreting the client's brief, you know, to, to then have the backup of this very sort of practical, sort of interesting creative way of, of measuring time and all those kind of things is actually needs yeah. far more attention. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Joanna, um, I guess what are some of your views on things like um, housing affordability, housing quality? What what do you what do you think about that? How is there something in the practice or something that you're thinking about in terms of I guess some solutions or some kind of ideas about how to increase quality or how to increase uh, I guess people's well being and all those kind of things? something that we're working alongside with all the time eh? it's kind of yes. like how do we how do we design to meet certain kind of rules and restrictions that are put on by certain government agencies and how do we provide a space that's kind of livable and nice to stay in so a lot of our medium density projects with lower budgets we're always trying to apply some of the mm. fundamentals like that you know good orientation you know, good sized living areas and things like that, passive surveillance, all of those kind of things to make the building um, 
get it to occupy, to live in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we have like a bit of a mantra in the office if to say, could you live in yeah. this? It's just because it's for, you know, low level, you know, in terms of lower socioeconomic group. To me, it's got to be good enough to live in. Where is the sun? You know, how does the flow of the house go? What You've got a place to store stuff, whatever it is. You know, like we... You know, I don't think it's fair to just say, oh, we're lucky I live in a great house and um, I don't worry about the others. That's a really bad attitude. Yeah, because I think everybody working in this space has the consequences or responsibility of a 50-year durability. And so we, the decisions we make on around buildings have this longevity beyond us. So we've mm. got to take that kind of responsibility. And it sounds like that's a baseline or a non-negotiable, which is fantastic. I think, sadly, legislation's got in, in, you know, because of all the leaky building syndrome and all that kind of stuff, that we've been over-choked, I believe, with legislation. And, I mean, the classic example is the first house I ever built was in oh, 1976 or something like that, when I was still at uni at, at architecture school. Mm. And it's still standing and there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think, well, hang on, it doesn't have a cavity, it doesn't have this, doesn't have that, doesn't have whatever. And yet it's still a, a nice little place to live in. You know, that's always a bit of an issue because I think about all these tapes and, you know, bandage this up and do this and put a cavity and put a closer and do this. And like this, who's, I don't know. I, I have this problem with the mad scientists in Wellington. I just, I figure that they sit there and write all this stuff. Yeah. But they don't actually understand the consequences of what it means down the line. They probably, th- I mean, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, um, you know, you wonder that actually in some ways they are kind of underselling the capabilities and skills and care that goes into that people actually have for buildings so their audience actually is anybody from any point you know at any stage of their career doing any kind of building we're actually you know once you get to a certain point of qualification like I'm a big believer in building up personal qualifications and doing your own projects and doing your own prototyping and so you get to a certain point of knowledge actually where you have the capability to go and do high quality buildings and it needn't cost any more. It needn't. Mm. Um, it, what it actually requires is just the the education and the knowledge and just the thought yeah. around. Okay, how do I do the, the best possible building in this in this time and space? Yeah, I think that. I mean, in terms of you know, we've had some chats about how do we improve the efficiency in this in, in this industry. And I mean, when you've got the, you know, we've got a consultant engineer, for example, mm. and we submit to council, and they check it all over, either with another external you know peer reviewer or whatever and then it comes back it's stamped and then that the building inspector still goes along to inspect the work that has to be certified by an engineer mm-hmm. and, it, and it's just you're just paying 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 as if to say well didn't you have two experts that's all you need you don't need five or six mm-hmm. and that's what there's these layers and layers i understand that you know i think the insurance companies have got a lot, lot to answer for yep. because they've said you know we've got a mitigate risk we've just got to kill risk so therefore we'll we've got situations where they're worried about the auditors now at council so they're giving us 55 rfis just because they think they can Mm. because that makes them look good for the auditors Mm. instead of saying there's five things here that should be looked at Mm. sweet good point we'll look at those and we'll fix them but there's this you know it's this whole system it's just it's tripping itself over the whole time Look, I think maybe um, we'll wrap up the conversation. I'm just with a couple, maybe one more question. Um, so, keen to see where you see yourself going in the next five years, Joanna, um, and obviously from a practice perspective, Dave, um, like where where you see stronger. But yeah, keen to sort of see what's what's out there. What do you want to try and achieve? 
where you want to go. Yeah, I guess one one kind of big goal that most architects kind of have is building for themselves. Mm. Um, so I'd love to kind of be in the position to do that. I'm actually working on a project at the moment in the Cook Islands mm. for um, family. Um, and so, yeah, being able to apply a lot mm. of the skills that I learned at SGA in terms of, and it's not just kind of the design component, it's kind of the logistics of um, and material efficiency and, and sourcing materials and, and looking at cost-effective, durable kind mm. of um, things like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of expanding on that, I, I guess, is building something for ourselves on mm. our kind of ancestral land. Mm. That, that'll be kind of a, a big goal for me. And also um, bringing, I guess, or probably getting into mentor- mentoring would be quite a good um, pathway, I think, in the sense that you know, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me at the time mm. when I was studying and coming through. Um, so it would be good to kind of bring a lot of people up yeah. with, with me. Kind of. I think that self-build is an amazing thing to be able to do because yeah. I actually think there's a lot of, um, like, for example, I think of um, Papa Kainga and, mm. and I guess, you know, parts of rural New Zealand, but also urban New Zealand, where, where that, that is a pathway. You know, there is, there is land there waiting, available for, yeah. and obviously family wanting people come back to ancestral lands or Papakainga. Um, so it'd be quite interesting to see, to document that process and you give you then guide yeah. other people about how to do that. Yes. Because um, they have a lot, sometimes a lot of the same remote remoteness, a lot of the same topographical constraints and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really good to sort of almost provide a, a way that people have people involved. Yeah, and I think another thing just in, in relation to kind of the permanence of what we do as architects, um, I guess after going through this process of building in the Cook Islands, it's like um, the approach is different in a sense that you see, like land is very sacred and it's like a, it's kind of the land that your ancestors were, were kind of living on. So you kind of see it as this really sacred spot and then um, with building being such a permanent thing, it's kind of weighing up like what's your design response in relation to that and, and knowing that it's going to be there for so long. So yeah, that's those are kind of the, the ideas, I guess, that are kind of popping up um, as a result of that project. I love that because it sort of replaces the idea of land as a commodity as yeah. something far more sort of sacred. So I think that's really interesting and important constraint. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Dave? What is, what is, what is SGA going over the next few years? With people. But, I mean, I'm still a sole owner of the practice, so we're looking for a number of years of looking to sort of divest some of the yeah. the ownership and the ownership model and stuff. But I mean, I think I just love that the Dolly Parton's got this great quote that's find out who you are and be that on purpose. And I really kind of like that because I've figured out that this is I can do this stuff, I can build, I can teach, and I can do architecture. So why would I ever want to stop doing mm-hmm. that? And, one of the awesome things that, that we've rediscovered, I guess, late, whenever we got out of lockdown, was it late last year or whatever? No, the year, I can't remember. No, the year before. Uh, it's all blurred. It's all blur, yeah. But um, was rediscovering, because I played um, a lot in bands mm. um, and through my youth and stuff like that, and we, we've got this band called the Door Jams now, which is three architects and a, and a non-architect, and it's just awesome. It's something, you know, about passion. So... Mm. You know, you've always had this passion for something, and so that's something I would always say to students as well. It doesn't matter what where you're in, whether you're a chippy or a plumber or mm. studying architecture, or whatever. If you have passion for that, that thing, yeah. it, it'll carry you through a whole lot of stuff, yeah. ups and downs or whatever. So I think it's critical. And if you don't have passion, it's like get out of there. It's not like um, 
the world's not like that thing like maybe my dad was you had a job and you had it for life mm. it's not like that at all we're much more mobile in terms of our career opportunity opportunities and choices and stuff so I, you know, to me, that would be a would be a lasting thing to say. Find the passion and just get on with it. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks very much, both of you. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Tall Stories: Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building.